The Charles Adler Show starts now. I have been looking for an opportunity for quite some time to have someone on this uh, podcast to share some time with a person I've known for a very, very long time. Uh, He's not just um, the way you folks have uh, gotten to know me, the way I generally like my guests. He's he's not just uh, extremely bright and uh, fabulous conversationalist. Uh, He's also a a courageous uh, person, very brave man uh, who has... um, mentored, inspired a number a number of people who need people like Professor Chris Wells very, very much. Professor Christopher Wells is at McEwen University. He's a Canada Research Chair studying all things related to LGBT youth. And Dr. Wells, I should say, unfortunately, because of things that go on in our society, opportunities do present themselves, uh, but I'm so glad to have access to you. Oh, thank you. And thanks for that, uh, that warm bio. I'm, I'm going to make sure my mom tunes in to listen to that. So, Well, before we do anything else, I, I want you to talk a little bit about the, the pride tape and the pride tape issue, because uh, you and uh, your crew in Edmonton have a lot to do with pride tape and, and, and the, the fact that we know anything about pride tape in the first place. Yeah, yeah, we we were really uh, privileged to be able to uh, create uh, Pride Tape here in Edmonton, and uh, with uh, strong support from the Edmonton Oilers. But Pride Tape really emerged from a research question uh, we had when we were looking at uh, the experiences of of LGBTQ youth, and particularly young gay and bisexual boys. Um, they were dropping out of organized team sports at earlier and earlier ages than their heterosexual peers. And and really, it was the uh, the culture of the locker room, the kind of homophobic language that they were continually exposed to that made them feel that, uh, you know, the the game that they loved was not uh, safe for them. And so they would they would drop out. And so Pride Tape really, you know, was uh, many creative minds who were uh, involved uh, in this was designed to be an intervention uh, into that uh, homophobic locker room to say to these young players that um, there's someone here who uh, supports you, who believes in you and uh, and uh, will uh, welcome you into uh, the game that you love. And so, you know, once we had designed uh, the concept of Pride Tape is we took it to the then captain of uh, the Edmonton Oilers, Andrew Ferentz, um, who we had previously worked with and who was actually a fun story here. He became the first team captain of any professional sport in North America to march on a pride parade. And it was here uh, in, in Edmonton. And so when we had this concept of the pride tape, Andrew told us two really important things. He said, number one, you're going to have to work with the NHL because you'll never get support if you don't include them from the very beginning. And uh, number two, he said, you know, you can't expect everybody to use the tape if you create it because uh, hockey players are superstitious and and they're not going to use the tape if uh, they're used to taping their stick in a certain way. But for us, it was always important that it was optional because we wanted people to, you know, use pride tape and wrap their sticks and be true allies. We didn't want false allies and somebody who felt they just had to do it because everybody else was was doing it. And and to this day, when we we launch Pride Tape with the Edmonton Oilers in their their skills a competition for their fans, um, it's now blossomed to be used by all 32 teams in the National Hockey League. In fact, the first stick that is u- was used by the Edmonton Oilers with Pride Tape sits in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Um, so you know, uh, and then it, it's gone worldwide, you know, to be used in many other sports and in many other countries. Should we assure people here and now? Because I realize that. There's always a lot of skepticism, even cynicism out there. Uh, 
Should we assure people, uh, Dr. Wells, that the pry tape has all of the same properties as traditional hockey tape, same adhesion, same texture, same good stuff? Yeah, well, and that's another thing uh, Andrew Ferentz told us. He said, you have to make a pro product. You know, players aren't going to use something, right, that is inferior. And so we actually went to the hockey tape manufacturers with the idea of pry tape. First thing they told us was it can't be done. Nobody's ever put six colors on one roll of tape. And and of course, we found out quickly that you can't just get, right, 100 rolls made. You had to get 10,000 rolls made. And so we did a Kickstarter campaign um, to involve the community. And we had, you know, small $5, $10 donations come from people all over the world to make Pride Tape a reality. And, and the very last donation to put us over the Kickstarter goal to make all this happen came from the, uh, the Burke family in honor of Brendan Burke, who had tragically passed away in a car accident. So it was really poignant from day one, you know, the Burke family and many of our hockey greats all were behind the idea of Pride, Pride Tape and wanted to see it, you know, become a reality. So my, my first take when uh, Gary Bettman, uh, commissioner of the National Hockey League, uh, turned thumbs down on pride tape, banned banned players from using it, banned teams. I just thought, how how small is that? I mean, I I was aware of the controversy of you know DeSantis, the governor in Florida, and all the hay and the the dough he's made on on, on homophobia. That, and and I, mean, I, I get I get all that. I, I didn't have a tr- trouble understanding where the the reactionary business was coming from, but I didn't think that the National Hockey League would just cower and submit to that. Were you as surprised as I was that they did? Yeah, I'm very surprised, deeply, you know, disappointed uh, by by the decision. We we had seen earlier the Pride and other uh, special cause jerseys be banned, but you know, Pride tape was was different than that because it was always uh, optional and no player was you know required to to use it. So this really um, you know came out of a bit. Uh, out of nowhere because no one was even uh, talking about this. And, and particularly when, you know, the original uh, argument from the NHL was that these jerseys and these special cause nights were causing a distraction by focusing on the players who weren't using them rather than the 95% of the players who were that, um, you know, this, there wasn't a problem to be addressed here. And, and it really turned into the, the controversy that they were trying to prevent in the first place. But of course, the uh, the response it wasn't about the five players. The response was about the the vicious political campaign that uh, many social conservatives. I mean, I use DeSantis because he's the one who's best known. But unfortunately, it's not just DeSantis. But it, it's basically social conservative Republicans. Uh, are, are you know they they set their hair on fire every time any kind of campaign like this exists. My my guess is I'm guessing here that if if the National Football League were to try anything like this. I mean, imagine pride footballs, for instance. Uh, I think that uh, there would be an uproar from from the far right. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And and your earlier show with Bruce, Bruce Arthur, really, you know, you you both did a, a fantastic job in the, the analysis of what is really happening here. And, and we're seeing this as being part of a larger trend in society that's targeting the you know, the LGBT community and trying to silence and erase its very visibility and its existence. So, you know, we, we look at this as a, a kind of enforced uh, invisibility that the NHL is is doing here. And and who is it hurt the most, right? If you're a if you're a gay NHL hockey player right now and you were thinking of coming out, well, forget about it, right? This has just sent you a message 
uh, to go back into the closet and really is, uh, is the opposite of what hockey has been trying to do in terms of grow diversity and grow the game and invite more people into the sport. It's just, uh, I don't mean to sound like a naive Pollyanna, but it just, um, it distresses me that uh, one of the communities that is the most threatened, especially around the world. I mean, I'm not, not saying that it's not an issue in Canada and the States, of course it is, but the LGBT community in, in places like Turkey and Iran and many countries around the world, Russia, you know, many others, is the most threatened. So the idea that the LGBT, according to social conservatives, the idea that the LGBT community is threatening to anybody is absurd. Well, we still see 60 plus countries in the world where being an LGBTQ person is considered a crime and, uh, you know, several countries where that is uh, punishable by death. Uh, and uh, we're seeing this this uh, global rise of, of popul- populism and right-wing extre- extremism. And uh, unfortunately, it's the LGBT community that is becoming the target and the and the scapegoat. Uh, you know, we're, we're seeing similar conservative political rhetoric, you know, here in Canada with, you know, the the battle over pronouns and and LGBTQ inclusion in schools in New Brunswick and, you know, how far reaching it goes where Premier Scott Moe is even, um, you know, on course to use the notwithstanding clause to, you know, exempt the the government out of uh, basic human rights uh, protections here. And, you know, that is itself unprecedented. We've never seen, you know, a government in Canada use the notwithstanding clause that targets vulnerable young people in our society. So the, the, the talking point that I constantly hear from uh, social conservatives I know is that Chuck, you, you just don't understand, uh, you know, parents have a right to know everything about their kids. And we don't want the LGBT community uh, to create a, a separation uh, from sons and daughters and parents. And the LGBT community is getting involved in the school system uh, to create that kind of friction and separation. What does Dr. Christopher Wells have to say about that? Well, this this whole notion of so-called parental rights has, has been around uh you know, a, a long time. And, and in fact, here in Canada, we can go back to the 1970s when Anita Bryant brought her Save Our Children, a crusade uh, into Canada and uh, onto the prairies. In fact, even making a stop here in in Edmonton with this, this slogan that since uh, gays can't reproduce, they have to recruit, that somehow they're predators, they're coming after vulnerable children. We have to you know, um, sort of rescind any human rights protections or non-discrimination ordinances. We have to root them out of, of uh, you know, public occupation such as as education or policing. Um, really, was a, a form of a, a purge, right? This moral panic um, that's happened, and here we are again today. The language has changed now, right? Anybody who supports LGBTQ rights is a groomer. Right. And this notion that somehow even talking about LGBTQ issues in our society or showing signs of support will, you know, um, recruit young people um, who are impressionable and vulnerable into this deviant, sinister lifestyle. So you can see how uh, incredible these and ludicrous these stereotypes are. But, you know, we knew after same sex marriage was legalized in Canada in 2005, schools would be the next battleground for this so-called culture war, uh, because, right, schools are at the heart of every community and schools are the future of every community and our society. And so what gets taught in schools matters a lot because this is where we produce responsible and respectful citizens. So it's no surprise to me that we're seeing 
you know, these groups, these million man marches, um, not only target, uh, you know, transgender youth and pronouns, they're targeting school materials that are LGBTQ inclusive. They're targeting any school that celebrates a pride week or raises a pride flag. Um, you know, it's just uh, really scary to see what's happening right now. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, over the many years, I mean, I've been, done this for over half a century now. So whether it's civil rights or women's rights or workers' rights or LGBT rights, I'm always on the side of, of people who are being marginalized and I want them to have the same rights that, that everyone else has. And never in, never in a million years thought that that would get me to be called a, a groomer. I mean, uh, you know, I, and, and, and because I've been called all kinds of names for, for you know, for various uh, reasons, uh, depending on what my perspective was, I, I get I get used to it. So to me, it's just, you know, water off a duck's back. I get called another stupid name, whatever. But I just wonder, uh, Chris Wells, for people who don't do what I do for a living, but they are influencers in their communities, are they prevented from, do they hesitate to join you because they don't want to be called a name? Uh, they don't want to have that label. Oh, uh, absolutely. Um, and, you know, people ask often me, well, like, why are you so um, prominently featured in the media um, when it comes to LGBTQ issues? And, and, and part of that is uh, I have academic freedom, which protects me uh, from being you know, fired from my, my job. But also because the moment anybody else speaks out, they get inundated with such, uh, you know, hate and discrimination and and people go after their employers or they start uh, you know targeting where they they live they get doxxed online that the moment they pop out up and speak out uh, then they disappear because it's not safe for them even you know myself even around this 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 pride tape uh, controversy uh, from the NHL um, every time that happens my inbox and my phone line get inundated with hate. And sometimes that hate is so extreme that I have to call the uh, Edmonton Police Services Hate Crimes Unit to investigate. So I just I want to discuss some of the, the larger issues. But before we do that, uh, just to stay with uh, some of the events in the news, I don't know whether they're going to be calling it a million man march, but it's, it's, just, it's the same thing, the same organizations involved in the same sort of activities. Have we got another one of those coming up in the next couple of days? Uh, we're we're recording this uh, on a Wednesday, uh, October 18th. So it, just everyone has some perspective on that. In the next few days, are we going to be confronting this again, uh, Dr. Wells, in Canada? Yeah, uh, absolutely. We've heard uh, many plans uh, across the country to to keep these, uh, which are really illegal marches, right? They, they're never taking out actually a permit anywhere in a city. Um, they're never paying the costs uh, for uh, police protection, which, of course, when we host a pride parade, right, it's tens of thousands of dollars in city permits and having the police involved to close streets and direct traffic. Um, so there's a real inequity here also uh, in, in policing that is not being uh, addressed that, you know, now anybody can just uh, have an illegal protest and show up and take over the streets of a community, make people feel unsafe. And there are very little repercussions for that. And that's part of this tactic is to um, keep having these kinds of marches and these protests um, to make people feel vulnerable and unsafe in their communities and um, uh, to wear people down. Right. And, and to say like, oh, well, we can't keep counter protesting, uh, you know, everything uh, all of the time. You know, it amazes me because uh... On the one hand, it doesn't really matter what part of the country I've lived in. I've lived in every part of the country. 
you know, I, the way I look at, at at this, every family knows somebody. So some families have several people in their families who are teachers like yourself. It doesn't matter to me whether it's at a university level, high school, elementary school, middle school, it doesn't matter. Uh, everyone knows teachers. Everyone has teachers somewhere in the family tree. It, it amazes me that these uh, million man march uh, folks, and many of them are the exact same folks who do convoy, uh, anti-vax, a number of other uh, right of center causes, same, same crowd. Um, this is how they keep themselves busy. And of course, it does raise a lot of money. But um, when, when, we're, when we're talking about this, it amazes me that they make any headway at all, because I just don't think anybody with a, a teacher in the family is thinking, you know, that Aunt Sally or, or Uncle Bill are, are groomers, are, are pedophiles, are trying to encourage their, uh, you know, trying to encourage children to do uh, things to their, their bodies. I mean, you hear uh, certain uh, advocates on the right talking about how teachers are now encouraging children to, you know, cut I hate to use this language, but this is the language that they use to get people all whipped up in a frenzy, you know, to, to, to cut off uh, their genitals. I mean, uh, you would think that there'd be resistance to this from parents who simply know teachers and know that that is not why a teacher gets out of bed in the morning and goes to school. There are many things that teachers are all about. That's not what they're about. You know, uh, I started my career as a classroom teacher. And in fact, it was working in schools and then in the community alongside LGBTQ youth that sent me back to university and graduate studies to figure out how to create a safer and more inclusive school environments for them and also for teachers. And, you know, this false narrative that teachers are somehow keeping secrets from parents. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, all a parent ever has to do is ask their child. And if their child feels safe and, you know, the, the quality of the relationship is supportive, well, uh, they'll be happy to share their realities and, and, and their thoughts. But in many cases, we know that, you know, coming out can still place a child at extreme risk. The research shows us that upwards here, uh, you know, in Canada, um, anywhere between 20 to 40 percent of all street involved young people are uh, somewhere on the LGBTQ uh, spectrum. And that's often because, uh, you know, their families have failed to support them. And then, you know, if your family's not a safe place, where do you go? Well, you go to school. But if your school's not a safe place, what's left for you? And too often, you know, the answer there is uh, the streets. And we know that it's a lot harder to get a kid off the street than to prevent them from being on the street in the first place. So all of these major social institutions in their lives have broken down and failed to support them. That's all anybody wants is these kids to be themselves and to find you know, support in their communities. But when you, when you hear the language and you hear the tone, you know, I, I actually ask myself the question, so what if I'm 14 years old and uh, my parents are doing this stuff, are involved in this kind of activity? If I'm 14 years old and I've got a gender issue that I need to discuss, the last people in the world I'm going to discuss it with are my folks. I'm sorry, but I don't know how else to look at it. There's a, there's an author who who uses the phrase five five seconds of bigotry, right? That I, I'll give you the example. So your mom, dad, son, a daughter sitting around uh, the television over after dinner, you know, with the cat and the dog, the the the, the quintessential North American family, you know, and then uh, they're flipping through television, and and dad has the remote because dad always has the remote. And on comes, you know, uh, RuPaul's Drag Race or, or Will and Grace or, or a show like that. And, you know, dad says, well, look at those faggots and turns the channel. 
Now, within that span of less than five seconds, that parent has just signaled to their child that they're not safe to have any conversation about sexual and gender diversity with, right? So it's these small little moments that can create these environments that have a huge impact on young people in terms of their their safety and well-being. So I guess it's fair to say when you hear the rhetoric uh, at, at these marches, it, it shouldn't take uh, uh, an Einstein to figure out why some kids have trouble speaking to their parents about these things. Well, uh, what we really noticed is this rhetoric is getting a lot more violent and a lot more extreme and dangerous, right? Here you are just a couple days ago seeing uh, students in Saskatchewan walk out of school to protest uh, the kinds of policies. Uh, So I think we also see a real generational divide happening here, whether we're talking about the pride tape ban in the NHL with an older generation of of white heterosexual owners and a younger generation of players who've grown up in a world um, surrounded by sexual and gender diversity. They have friends or family members from this community that they care about. But, you know, those who have the power, whether it's the politicians or or the, the owners versus, right, those who are impacted the most by the decisions. So um, to me, at the end of the day, it really shows that how much more education needs to happen Uh, and starting early and often in our school system. Now, more with Charles Adler. What's the central message uh, that you have for people who are thinking of, say, using a pride tape on their their hockey sticks? What is the message that they are sending? Well, we have this saying uh, at Pride Tape and our our small little grassroots uh, collective um, is, uh, we make tape and you make it powerful. Right. Like it's really the power in pride tape is not, you know, the tape on on the stick. It's the conversation that it engenders because it's through the conversation that is the possibility for change to actually happen. Is it is it fair to say uh, or or unfair the way the way I look at these things is, uh, you know, equality is, you know, to me, it's 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 not uh, an option. I see uh, Canada's uh, the Adler family's promised land. I've said that on the podcast before that's uh, simply historically accurate based on my own my own history with my own family what this country means to us uh, this country gave us the opportunity to be equal so being equal is a very big thing with me but i i don't like this notion of uh, their team and our team and whatever i call me uh, you know a little bit altruistic but i think all of us are on the same team the team is called humanity that's what pride tape says to me chris wells well, and, and here we are in Canada, right? Canada is known often for two great things all over the world, uh, hockey and human rights. And, you know, Pride Tape brings them really together in one powerful symbol. But I think uh, all of us should be very concerned about what we're, we're seeing, whether it's banning, you know, Pride Tape or these uh, million man marches or people protesting against drag queen story time. It's about pitting our communities against each other, right? And today it's targeting the LGBT community. But tomorrow, it might be targeting your community uh, and the people that, you know, you care about and you love, uh, because democracy is stronger when we're all together and when we're not only understanding our differences, but we come to a point where we celebrate them as one of our greatest strengths. Do you think uh, this gets to a point where some people uh, who feel education is being targeted, do you feel there are some people or do you hear from people who say, you know, I was thinking about becoming a teacher, but 
I don't want to be around this. I, I think I'll go do something else. I don't want to make stuff up, but you, you, you know, you're a data guy. Um, you tell me. We, we've absolutely heard this um, in terms of even looking at enrollment uh, into our faculties of education. And we've been trying to diversify, you know, our classrooms because, uh, you know, education has predominantly been female and white and hasn't been reflective of the diversity we see, uh, you know, in those seats in in our classrooms. So um, with COVID on top of things and stress and, and burnout and 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 even what's happening in New Brunswick and Saskatchewan, fundamentally, uh, that legislation shows a deep distrust of teachers, right? Teachers are professionals. Teachers always have the best interests of their students in mind. And in fact, they're legally required to, to do so. And so they're not, they're not hiding secrets from parents, right? They are trying to support these young people to get to a place where they feel comfortable and confident to be able to have these conversations you know, with their parents. And sometimes that will be teachers who are supporting them through their coming out a process or their, their journey. So fundamentally, this is just not an attack on 2S LGBTQ young people, but it's an attack on the very tenets of public education and the teachers that we entrust and we charge with one of the most important jobs that we have in society. I think the most important job is being a good parent, number one. And then number two, we hope that we have a great teachers because next to the family, where do kids spend most of their time, right? It's in the schools. So your job is being a great teacher. I want to ask you this as far as communicating one-on-one with a young person. What is it that a young person will find in a room with Dr. Chris Wells that he or she may not find in a room with a a parent that's active in things like Million Man Marches? What, what, What is it that you have to offer? Well, I've, I've had the, the, the real privilege to work with thousands of, uh, upon thousands of, of young people in my, my career. And the one message I always say to them is, you're normal and beautiful just the way you are. You don't need to change. It's society that needs to change. Because too often they've been told that there's, right, they're disordered or they're a defect. Or if I could just be like everyone else, then everything would be okay. Or if I could just pray harder, or I could try harder to change right? You don't need to change. It's these hostile and discriminatory environments that you find yourself in that need to change. You're perfect and beautiful just the way you are. So if if every parent uh, had that message for their young people, you're perfect and beautiful just the way you are, we might not be having this conversation. You know, it's the simplest and probably the most powerful thing any parent could ever say to their child, right? I love and support you. And I'm going to be here throughout your journey, no matter where that journey takes us. Why did Chris Wells become a teacher? Wow. You know, uh, I think it's uh, partly because uh, my mom was one of 11 in a farm family. And, uh, you know, they uh, farmed in the summer and they taught school in uh, the winter. So you never escaped your your homework. But you also learned the value of, of hard work and what it means to come together in community. But, you know, I became a, I became a teacher. Um, you know, to, to help uh, change my little part of the world, right? You know, you think about the future of our society. And for me, it all starts with uh, education. How difficult was that uh, for you, being a, a member of a farming community and uh, being part of a, a group of people that tended to keep it in the closet, if you don't mind me putting it that way? Yeah, it was hard, right? Because uh, I had this interesting rural and urban experience 
um, raised by a single parent, um, you know, and uh, in uh, during the school year, I was here in Edmonton. And then uh, the last day of school, I was shipped off on a plane, often by myself to go to the farm uh, for the summer. And, uh, you know, in the farm community, you weren't you didn't even have a first name. You were just known by your last name. And so um, it took a lot to uh, to break break through and uh, break through that that silence and that invisibility. But you know, I think now we found nothing but support. And and my big concern is for our our LGBTQ young people, particularly living in rural or remote communities. You know, you shouldn't have to leave your community to be able to find support, right? We want people to be able to stay and be accepted in their communities and build their their lives, their hopes their dreams. But too often, even here in Canada, I call it the MTV effect. If you were part of the LGBT community, you had to move to Montreal, Toronto, or Vancouver to be able to find a community that was out and visible that would support you. Dr. Wells, is there any one story that you can offer us from the days down on the farm, as it were, in in Western Canada, where you had a very difficult moment? Oh, geez, many, many, many difficult moments, you know, uh, and I think of those thousands upon thousands of young people I've worked with. And, and, you know, the reality is, Charles, we weren't able to save them all. Right. And I think about when I was uh, a teenager and I grew up in the the 1980s. So the narrative I had as a, as a gay kid, right. Well, you know, if, if, if you were going to be gay, you were going to get AIDS and be dead by the time you were 30. Why would you ever come out to that? There was no hope. There was no Future. I never saw one gay person who had a professional occupation or a job. I didn't even think it was possible to do that. Um, and of course, you know, you grew up in a province here in Alberta that didn't even have basic human rights protections on the grounds of sexual orientation until the Supreme Court of Canada forced the government to do that. 25 years ago this year, actually, the Vereened decision came out in 1998. But I remember those kids, right? And I was thinking that as a 15-year-old who had the razor blade at my own risk, wondering if I could make it, if I should go on to think about, you know, I made a different decision than some of those young people who taken their own life. And so what can we do to help to prevent that? How can we help to change that message and give young people, you know, hope? It might be dark right now, but there is a community out there uh, that cares about you deeply, that will welcome you, and there is uh, a future for you. I don't mean uh, to probe, but Part of my job is to to do that in the interest of helping people to understand issues where they might not have the luxury and the privilege of being with people like yourself. So I've got to ask the question, and I'll ask it in this way. 15-year-old Christopher Wells had a razor blade at his wrist. I'm presuming that it was your right hand that was holding the razor blade. Why? Well, I, there was no hope, right? It was a dark world. There was nothing to hang on to. There was there was no visibility. There were no role models. The only messages you had were, you know, you were going to live uh, a life of deviancy, of trauma, of, of pain. And so you just wanted to make the pain go away. Um, but thankfully, you know, I didn't do that. And I did find that community of support. And I did come out. It took me to my last semester of my a degree in university uh, to do so. But, uh, you know, uh, I say to kids today, if I woke up uh, tomorrow and the world were queer, I'd be straight. 
because it, <laughs> it meant something to see the world differently, to have that experience of going right against the grain. And when we think of great innovation, great, whether it's music or movies or entertainment or writing, you know, the people often at the edge of that innovation are the ones who've seen the world quite differently. Do you think it's difficult to, to say to straight people, because uh, I've, I've tried this and sometimes it connects and frankly, sometimes it doesn't. Um, imagine a world where you don't feel loved by anybody, but you feel loathed by everybody. And if you could imagine that world, then you know the world that many LGBT people have been living in. Your take. It's, it's like a prison, right? In, in that, in that world. And, uh, uh, I take great pride that here in Canada, we've been changing that narrative. We've been creating a new world, a world full of hope and possibility. And, and that's why with these, these protests and, and these bans and these attacks on the LGBT community, sometimes it feels like that progress is, is moving backwards. Uh, but, uh, that reminds me that we just have to speak out louder and, uh, we need more allies to join us, you know, in this, uh, in this course, this course of human rights, this course of, of diversity. I often say to, to teachers I, I work with to say, um, you know, uh, look outside your window. What you see is, you know, the world's most diverse and resilient system. It's nature. When a system in nature uh, reaches sameness, it dies and collapses because it can no longer adapt. This notion of diversity is built into the very essence and survival of our planet. And we ignore it as a species at our own peril. You don't want to mention names, uh, Chris, unless you want to, but let's just put it in terms of institutions, and it doesn't matter to me what walk of life we're talking about. Which institutions outside of the National Hockey League, clearly, are disappointing Dr. Wells today? Which institutions should be on the team playing ball with you? Well, definitely uh, schools, right? Schools are, are fundamental uh, building blocks of our society, and so we wish that you know, if I could wave my magic wand, that every young person would be able to go to school and find support, be themselves, learn about each other, learn about our differences, not be afraid of our differences, but see them as a, as a way to unite us in a common humanity. Um, healthcare. Healthcare is still a real challenge, particularly for our, our trans and non-binary young people to be able to access gender-affirming uh, supports. And we see right that happening right now, particularly in the United, United States, where they're banning gender affirmative care, which is, um, you know, is, is actually causing these young people considerable harm. In fact, it's causing some of them to take their own lives because, again, they see no hope for their their future without uh, being able to access these kinds of uh, support. So something as small even as using uh, someone's correct pronouns can make a whole world of difference to that individual. And it takes nothing away from you. But like we've talked about, Charles, it's just about basic common courtesy and respect. And that's a value I learned on the farm, right? Is when, you know, people were hungry, you invited them into the dinner table. Didn't matter where they came from. Didn't matter if they were just passing by or they were, you know, labor on the farm or they were guests, right? Everybody was taken care of. I want to ask you, if you will, um, to privilege this podcast with a message to anyone listening to this who is alone, very, very alone, because of the issues that we've been dealing with. And I don't want to make this overly dramatic. I, I don't 
not, not suggesting that anyone who's like this is necessarily going for razor blades, but they're, they're feeling harmed. And some definitely are thinking about self-harming. What's the teacher? You're the great teacher. What's your message to them right here, right now? You know, uh, I call it the power of one. Every young person needs at least one trusted adult in their life that they can they can reach out to that will be there to support them, not not judge them. Uh, we hope that that's uh, uh, their parents. Um, it could be a faith leader. It could be a coach in a community. Oftentimes, it's that uh, trusted uh, teacher in their school. Um, and and I tell young people, there's no issue too big or there's no issue too small. But if we don't know about it we're not able to help you. And so it really comes down to building that trusting, you know, relationship to know that we're not going to out you um, uh, when you're not ready to be share that information with others, but that you have a space and a place um, where people are not just going to accept you, but they're going to love you and they're going to celebrate you. Because uh, I don't know about you, Charles, but I've had enough of tolerance. I don't want to be tolerated anymore. (laughs) You have no idea how much I, I, I hate that term. Every time I hear it, it's like, well, you know, you're, you're much lower in the food chain than I am, but I'll tolerate you. (laughs) I guess the message, if I had to sum it up in just a few words is please, if you're in that position where you're feeling very alone, please, please explore every opportunity to find just one person. One person can make all the difference in the world share with that person it'll change your life you know absolutely and uh you know believe in yourself right uh, as well that uh you know it's the it's 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 this it's this great thing right in the world i tell young people there is you know you are a living work of art right and creativity there is no one else like you be the best you you possibly can be because that means everything and it says everything. And, and for those kids, maybe, or, or parents who are struggling right now, um, you know, reach out, right? Call the kids help phone. They're, they're a wonderful re- resource. Parents, there are PFLAG chapters all over this country. Uh, other parents who've been through similar journeys to yourself know as parents, often when kids come out, the parents go into the closet because they're afraid of what their family members are going to think or their neighbors or their, their coworkers. So, um, you know, you're not alone either. Right. None of us are, are alone in this, no matter what issue we're dealing with. But too often, that's the reality that we think we're the only ones that have felt this way or that sh- somehow that there is so much shame or stigma. But I think it all comes down to the fact to know that, you know, you are loved. You are worthy of love. And the Kids Helpline is 1-800-668-6868. Kids Help phone number one 800 668 6868. And if uh, you haven't been able to take that down, but you need it, just Google Kids Help Phone. It's always there for you. Dr. Wells, thanks for always being there for me and for so many others. Thank you, Charles, and, and for everything that uh, you do and uh, the, the space for uh, not only discussion, but hope that uh, you bring into our world. Catch Charles Adler Mondays on Real Talk with Ryan Jesperson, twice a week in the Winnipeg Free Press. And every day at choirmedia.co.